Yo, John Fitch here. John Fitch knows nothing. I uh, have a great guest for you tonight. You guys asked for him. John Nash is here. We're going to talk money stuff, okay? Uh, we're going to talk the stuff that nobody else really wants to talk about or cares to talk about, it seems like. Um, and there's a lot of people who are so smart that they don't have to know or study or read anything about the money or, or finance or economics, and they know everything. They're all over uh, Twitter, and they're so smart. I love hearing from them. They come in my DMs and tell me how wrong I am um, for having the knowledge that I know because I, I must have made it up. I didn't read it from actual data or anything. Yeah. So uh, now we have probably, in my opinion, the only expert in fight finance that I can think of because I don't know anybody else who's taking the time and effort to really dive through all the info that's come out through all the purses, through all the released statements and, and documents and stuff from the, the, uh, the class action lawsuit that I'm involved with. Um, yeah, so we're going to get his input on some of the stuff because he's obviously probably smarter than me with this stuff. Uh, and it's going to be a good talk, but we're going to play a little something first. Um, and, you know, we're all very classy here, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it classy, okay? Here we guys go. No further ado. John Nash. John, how's it going, man? Good, good. Can you hear me and everything? I don't know. Yeah, okay, good. I thought I might have accidentally muted myself. I don't know how to. I've never no, used no. Restream, so you didn't tell yeah. me there'd be new technology involved. So uh, it's um, it's kind of like the dumbed down version of OBS or whatever. Yeah, I should be. I should, this is this is convenient. I should be using this. This looks very it's, functional. Yeah, I was using uh, StreamYard, and StreamYard's good too. But at the time I switched over, um, this had more stuff, and I got a deal. Like it was a special deal per month, so I locked in yep. a good deal. So okay. I keep using this one. Uh, Re uh, StreamYard's upgraded their stuff, so I have people that use that a lot, and it, it, it's good. But yeah, this is uh, it's like it keeps it simple. It keeps it simple. But this guy, I'm a kind of a luddite, so even though I. My job technically is with technology. I don't know anything about anything. So I'm yeah, I struggle. I'm such a boomer because the whole time I was fighting, like I didn't really use the internet much. I didn't yeah. use computers much. I was I played a lot of video games. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm, I train, I'm, I'm really old. I don't know. What are you forty? I'm I'll be forty four next month. See, I'm like I'm half a decade older. I'm almost fifty. Okay. So, I mean, I tell so, you, yeah, I'm almost like, sixty, so I look good. But, yeah, uh, they. I was. I was in the uh, man. Like, but I. But I was still young, and I'm still old enough to, yeah. not had the opportunity to like research things yeah. on the internet. We. Uh, we had this thing at Purdue called Stacks, and it was a building, inside like the library, and you had it was like four or five stories high, and you had to, like use a Dewey Decimal system to go up and find, like journals and like figure mm -hmm. out, like. 
That was that was the, that was our Google back then. <laughs> that's that was mine. That's uh, the, yeah. The to me, there's spirits living behind this, and that's how it works. Yes. Little leprechauns that do it. Otherwise, I don't know like, how it works. Yeah. Like I still I still catch myself. I'm like, man, I wonder how that works. I wonder how we could do that or what that would be. I was like, hmm. I wonder, too bad there's no way I could find information on that. And like, oh yeah, Google exists. That's some, you know, it's that I pre- Google. I appreciate, even though it is a monopoly and it's taken all my ad revenue, and that's yes. why guys writing. Well, I, I yeah, nowadays I use like DuckDuckGo and stuff and other other because like even like they bury a lot of the stuff. It'll be like on the third page. Well, yeah, it's also a lot of it's based on their algorithm, not just the that you you've got to pay for it. They want to make sure the people that pay have the very top the top sites, and so. Yeah, they also don't want any hate facts to come up first, I think. Well, I mean, there's some positivity to not having hate facts, I guess. <laughs> I mean, do we really want the, hey, hate the first facts. thing you search for, let's let's put up the, let's put up. Numbers aren't hateful. Quotes. Numbers aren't hateful. That's What's not hateful? Numbers are not hateful. It's the, well, the language of empiricism sounds like hate to the language of emotions. Well, I, I, I don't know what that's from, but I, I agree in the fact that, uh, there is a some people some people misuse stats and some people are unwilling to accept stats and just because stats statistics and and stuff on the surface may present something that looks bad doesn't mean if you delve into it it's really what people think it is. Yes, and I just I, I mean the idea of good and bad itself is is questionable. It's all, that's that's about perspective a lot of times too. Good or bad? What's good? What's bad? That's that's true. Hold on one second. I'm getting a little feedback. I'm gonna unplug. Okay. Is that is that, uh, uh, that okay? Is that better? Is that yours? I think it was mine. I'm not sure. It was through my headphones, but no, my it's my, my microphone uh, it does some weird stuff sometimes. So if you do hear weird sounds coming from mine, I might have to hit mute and jiggle my wires. Yeah, I think it was my headphones though, because as soon as I did that, it was better. So yeah, okay, my high tech here. So. Yeah, let's uh, let's dive a little bit into um, the finance stuff with MMA, right? So I think mm-hmm. the biggest the biggest thing people need to hear is like I always share your article on you know boxers. Yes, boxers do make more money than MMA fighters on on every level, whether they're three fights deep or twenty fights deep. Well, I wouldn't say there is a there is a category. I mean, there's close comparisons, but. Yeah. You know, like one of the big arguments is, is they'll, oh, you know, this is what thrown at me a few times is like they looked at a Mayweather card. And they're like, look, there's a guy on the Mayweather card who he only made $3,000. And then they say, look, UFC pays their, their guys all 10000 who, you know, nobody pays, makes less than ten and ten for their whatever. Like, but most of those guys have had, you know, five to ten fights before they get to that first UFC fight. Yeah. It's, it's rare that somebody gets their very first fight ever into the UFC. And the guy that they were, I mean, I remember this, it was, it was, um, it was some guy who had like three fights and they're using that as an example. See, look, boxers don't make more. I was like, that guy had three fights. Like he was making yeah. the equivalent of what a three fight boxer should be making probably more. Yeah, I know. That's that. I mean, that's uh, the people get confused is one thing is, okay. If we take all the pay for MMA and put it on a, on a chart and say, this is, you know, the lowest paid guys at the bottom, 0%, the highest, it's 100%, and we string them out on the percentile. If we do the same for boxing, we find one, boxers on every spot, on average, make more, except for one area, 
And that area is basically where the UFC presides for their prelims. They are paying higher than they would make. Uh, and, and you'll see, like, uh, like a, pre, a UFC fighter in the prelims, yes, he's making more than he would make in the regionals. And also, there's and sometimes you'll get, like, a guy with only three, four, five fights, and he'll bump to the, the UFC. But how many guys with three, four, five fights are really fighting in the UFC? It's like mm-hmm. one out of every 10,000 fighters gets that chance. Yeah. So you can't use that as an example. And so the truth is, when people look at like a Mayweather boxing card, UFC holds 42 events a, uh, 42 events a year that's broadcast, broadcast and ESPN. And so they, they fill these cards with all the best fighters in MMA. They basically got the, the largest chunk of all the best fighters. When you combine all the Golden Boy broadcasts with all the match box, matchroom boxing, with all the top rank and all the PBC stuff, it's like 165 cards broadcast on the networks. So if you take if you say oh only boxers on the main card make more yes but there's four times as many boxing cards that are being broadcast basically as mainstream big events so so you're gonna have a, a large number of boxers that make as much or more than UFC fighters you have the section of UFC fighters MMA fighters that make more and mm-hmm. it can add up and then all the way going up as you as you bottom the guys lower in the career there's no such thing as the professional opponent in MMA. In boxing, guys that fought and didn't quite make it, they can go on the circuit, fight several times a year, they get good at defense, that way they don't take brain damage, and make several, you know, five, six, seven thousand dollars a fight, which is not as much as UFC, but they're fighting several times a year. Mm-hmm. Where the MMA equivalent is you show up and they give you, you know, 500 bucks, here you go. Yeah. Because they don't need that. They don't need to build fighters. There's no such thing as a professional opponent in MMA. No, and no, and nobody's trying to compete with UFC at all. Like everybody is like, no, we're we're all just trying to we're all trying to just be feeders into the UFC. Like no nobody's wants to compete at all. It's almost yeah, like they're all there's, in on it. There's together. also you don't see um I don't Jared Ennis's contract came on. There's a bunch of guys. I mean, Aaron Pico is the one example of a young boxer that had probably has a deal that probably pays him monthly. I mean, young MMA fighter. But there's several boxers that they sign thinking that they can turn this guy into a world champion, and they'll sign a, de- a contract that'll pay him like three thousand a month, just three thousand mm-hmm. a month to just live. And then when he fights, he gets money, and then they get bonuses and stuff. And then when he moves up, the, the pay gets more. But the whole point is, someone's made a commitment thinking this young guy is going to make it, and if I stick with him, he's going to be in world fights, and then I can eventually make money off him. I'll lose money for years. No one does that in MMA because you, if you do that, eventually it gets big enough, he just goes to the UFC and leaves you. Yeah. No, it's um, – I've said this a bunch of times. MMA is a game of pimps and hoes. All, all the fighters are the hoes, and whether you're – I'm sorry to say it, but the journalists, the managers, the promoters, everybody is just cranking through these hoes to get as much money off them as they can and, and kick them out. They're not trying to build them. They're not trying to give them long careers or – or uh, put them in a position to win titles. If they win a title, great, but they, they, they don't care. It's more about mass. Like, how many guys can we get through? How many guys can we put through the meat grinder rather than how many champions can we make? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's there's the the idea that the, the brand is the value in MMA means that fighters individually don't have value. They're not like boxing where in yeah. MMA, you, you fight for the UFC and the whole thing or Bellator or whatever. I mean, it's not just UFC is just the 800-pound gorilla, but the other ones do it too. The idea is like, you fight for the brand. The brand is what you came to watch, and that uh, we're in boxing. It's like no, you're not. No one, no one calls each other and says, "Are you watching the top ranked card tonight?" The next question is, "Who's fighting?" That would be the question. And and mm-hmm. MMA, blah, blah, blah. MMA companies want it to be, "Are you watching Bellator tonight?" 
and not ask who's fighting. It's, they don't want you to care about yeah. who's fighting because then they don't have to pay the fighters as much and they get to keep more of it. And just the UFC's done the best at this, so they get to keep the most of all the money. Mm-hmm. So, it's, well, did uh, they do the best, or did they do the best at cheating? Well, I mean, whatever way you want to look at it, you cheat their case? way into a, did they cheat their way into a position where it forced everybody to watch them because they're the you, only show? You have a whole lot. Your lawsuit is arguing this, and I have my own theories that don't quite go the same way as the presentation that your lawsuit is. But yes, I do think the UFC what they did. They did a great job for a while. They beat everybody to the punch. They they did. They did do great presentation. They did spend money to get on Ultimate Fighter, all that stuff. But after they made it, then their next step was, let's make it really hard for anybody else to do the same thing so that we get to keep all the revenue coming in. We get to keep what's called the monopoly rent, or, or in this case, monopsony rent. We get to, you know, we get to get the excess money that if we prevent anybody from competing with us, we get to keep. That That's, I think, their goal. But yeah, I do want to say, though, too, is, I, I I think boxers get screwed too a lot. There's a lot of stuff yeah. wrong with boxing. One hundred percent. My 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 general thing though is it's kind of worse and in many ways much worse than MMA because the value uh, a person I think there's two tracks to make money in fight combat sports and both of them are made more difficult than MMA and boxing. One is you can just have a fight off your name and and, and we're it's the Jake Paul thing. Yeah, Jake Paul. Notoriety. It's a, it's a notoriety gimmick fight. These guys are famous. Nate Diaz is kind of in that category now, where people just want to see him. They don't care about the sporting merit of the fight. They're yeah. just Nate Diaz is a charismatic character. Don't care about his rank. Yeah. Don't care about him yeah, climbing. He's just a, it's a guy they like watching fun. He's a personality. He's fun. And there's a few fighters like that, and and the sporting sense doesn't matter. And these guys have some leverage because their notoriety is what sells. And the UFC has done this great job of kind of trapping them in the promotion so they can collect on that notoriety. So that's one type of fight that the sporting sense doesn't matter. The other one is that where it's like fighters are competing and their rank should have value that they, that you're very stringent in the ranking. That way, when they move up in the ranking and fight for a title, it's it's not dictated by, oh, you have to sign this contract, you can get the chance. It's dictated by, yes, you yeah. are the, the best guy, you beat that guy, you get the shot. The rules are very strict, and the reason you want to do it that way is then fighters have the leverage of their rank. You can't take that away from them. Boxing is not perfect because there's manipulation of the sanctioning bodies, but they have some control over it. They have some, yeah. they have some, they, they're not, the fighter has some control over their ranks because of the legislation and past lawsuits. And that way, the and the promoters and the sanctioning organizations are separate, so they can't deny them together and say, "Listen, you have to sign." Not like the old Don King days, you have to sign with me to get a shot at the heavyweight championship. And so, you know, they can leverage the idea like, "I'm the mandatory. I get this title shot no matter what. I get a piece of the pie." And those are the the two things. And in both both of them, in one, MMA promoters control the ranking; they control the title. Uh, the, the fighters who have no leverage to, to progress that way. And the other one is fighters, because they had to use the other method to get into the sport, fighters are trapped into contracts. Uh, I don't use that term. They are kind of trapped into contracts. They're stuck. And so that even though they have their notorieties with some of the fights, they only can do it for the promotion they're trapped in. And yeah. so in both cases, you know, large amount of the money is not going to the guys that are generating it. I, like, um, <clears throat> part of my opinion with the... Uh issues with boxing is because the the promoters can't steal as much money from the from the fighters they don't put as much effort into promoting yeah well i no, i think there's still a lot of promoting done it's just differently i mean it's not uh i mean you well, look I, at- I, I mean like i don't think they put as much effort in because 
you know, they're only getting 50% or less. Like they're not, you know, does that make sense? Like if they, if, see, I feel I, like I, they would promote harder if they were keeping a larger portion. <laughs> I think it makes sense in the sense they're not, they're not marketing the brand as much. There's not this huge campaign to go watch Top Rank every, but you look at like, yeah. look at Javante Davis, the promotion they've done. I mean, MMA fans who don't follow up might not see the promotion, but here's a guy we don't know about when he shows up in town with no UFC behind him with nothing. And, and his opponents aren't that big. He's selling $4 million gates. And so him and his opponent are split basically the, almost all the gate because the way it's system works, they're keeping like two thirds of that money. But $4 million gates is, and they do that and they go to certain cities that they know he has uh, appeal in and they've built up that appeal. They go to they go to Atlanta, they go to LA and he's popular in, uh, in more of a, you know, because boxing has, it's much more popular with black and Hispanic fans than MMA is. Yeah. MMA is much more popular with white fans. But they'll go to areas, black areas, and, you know, white people, uh, you know, the general MMA fan is not really quite aware of the appeal that Javante Davis has. Tank, they've built it up. There's other guys that have done the same in boxing where they've, they've done a great job promoting and building up the sport. But I do think you're, there is something about you know, UFC is much more willing to spend millions of dollars because they're spending millions of dollars on the whole promotion. And so they're, they're, yeah. and they're, and they'll make a lot more money back by doing it. So they can, they can, sh- they can scatter shoot the money around. And, and make you know, multi- I mean, what the UFC makes you gotta remember is all the boxing promoters put together is basically yes. what they're making. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that so you touched on a bunch of things. Um, one uh, was the fact that a lot of boxers can make more money because they have more opportunities to fight. There's there's just more shows. They don't they don't get as stuck into you know like I signed with uh, you know when I signed with WSOF you know. It, it wasn't a, a great monetary contract. It was a big cut step back from what I was making from the UFC. But what was worse was I fought once every nine months. And there was no, like, you know, if I was fighting four times a year, then, then the, the contracted amounts were, would be okay. But um, that that restriction on me being able to go and openly compete whenever I wanted to prevented me from making money. Yeah, that's, I mean, I mean that's a... A big part of it's just the lack of competition. There's only a select few big promoters in MMA, and so they're not going to offer you as much. Where, I mean, yeah, if it was more like boxing, probably you know if you didn't want to work with the UFC, you you would sell. What at what time what were you like fifth in the world or something like that when you got left by the UFC? Seventh, you were in the top ten. Well, right? the, yeah, they well they they didn't have their official UFC rankings. I, I, I was I, I, I was, official, was, but it was like the what was the consensus bloody elbow rankings or you know I was I was yeah, I was I was in the top I was in the top ten for sure oh, ufc so, created their own rankings like a few yeah. weeks or a month before they let me go and i was nine on their own rankings yeah I, well i would the uh i don't think people should use the ufc rank i don't think people should belt the rankings they should use promoter rankings it, because well, yeah well the titles and the rankings should be independent well it is a small thing it's a small thing but it does take some leverage away from fighters negotiation because a fighter can leave uh if he can leave as soon as he leaves a promoter and they can just yank him from the rankings and he's out of fans memory that's you know okay he loses yep. some value but but if, if the promotions if the only rankings mma websites and stuff used was like a consent the old consensus rankings well if you if you don't sign the guy and he leaves guess what fans go look in the you know on mma fighting or junkie and they go oh wait here's the rankings oh he's still fifth he's still here and so we have some value because other promoters would look and say, "I want to prove that we have the best fighters. Let's sign this guy." I mean, it's not—it's not—it wouldn't be world-changing because it's a—it's the media rankings, but it would give some extra leverage to fighters, just a little bit. A little bit helps. Well, I mean, if we had, 
you know, the median rankings that we had, you know, actually sanctioning bodies that had held the title, held the title, and they had their rankings too, then there would be some some uh, more leverage then to the fighter. You know, he builds up his notoriety through through uh, winning fights, performing, and whatever antics he's doing outside of the outside of the cage. And he still has the opportunity to climb the ranks and fight top guys, fight big fights, um, and even fight for the title, regardless of what promoter he's fighting for. Yeah, that, I mean that's a, I mean that's the whole idea of. I'm sure I think you, you guys have gone to Congress and preached this about the. That's the whole point of the Ali Act is you want to have the independent rankings, and but those rankings would be what I was on was just a media rankings, but having independent rankings of a sanctioned organization or whatever. I think there's actually if. I mean, if people want to be creative. You don't even have to. There's other stuff you could do that's even, I think, wilder. If you, if you I want to look into that, we can we can go more extreme if you guys actually ever successful on this. But independent rankings for a sanctioning organization or whatever, yeah, that that's even more valuable than having media rankings because those rankings actually mean something. That determines who gets to fight for a title. Yeah. Uh, you know, you'll see. I mean, there's right. Well, because there's four titles in boxing. The, I do think the ranking value dilutes pretty quickly because there's four paths to get a title. Yeah. But you do look at how much an, a champion makes in boxing. They make a lot of money. And then how much the contenders make. And that's, so that means there's up to four people per division making a lot as a champion. And their four contenders are all making a pretty good money because they have to come to an agreement to let the fight go forward. Otherwise, they lose the belt. And I, then I, there's, I, there's pretty decent money when you get the next step down, because those are the guys that decide the next, the next mm-hmm. challenger. I, I, uh, I, it's taken me a while to warm up to, but I actually kind of like the idea of four main titles for the, for the fact that, because those organizations can develop bad attitudes or bad relationships with the fighters and not like doing business with certain fighters. So like if, if you have a shitty relationship with your promoter and you have a shitty relationship with the sanctioning body, like that could prevent you from fighting for titles. So you should have the option of going somewhere else and fighting for another big title. I, I don't have that big of a problem with it, yeah. especially with the opportunity that they have. Sometimes it has happened. It does happen that those people with different titles can fight each other and you have mm-hmm. unified belts. Yeah. Well, I, I it doesn't bug me because I'm a boxing fan. I kind of understand it. But personally, and this is, I mean, you, you, it's not up to me. It's really whatever happens should be the fighter's decision. They're the ones that should get together and say, this is how I want the sport structured. It's not, mm-hmm. But personally, it's it's not that I'm against multiple titles, but I do look at it. I think there's two schools of thought. One is multiple titles gets confusing to fans. So while those four fighters might make more, it might dilute interest in the rest of the people coming up. The rank. So if you had one title and, and a set of rankings, people are more likely to pay attention to those rankings if they're followed. So like guys further down the rankings would have more value than they do. Uh, the other possibility, I mean, and, and one thing I thought, I think it's, it's, it's a thrown out white wacky idea, but it's, you know, I, I, I talked, I don't know if you know, Kurt Emhoff, the boxing manager, we have whole discussions about how to fix boxing. And I, I include this in MMA at the same time. A theory I came up with, is there's nothing that says if you guys were successful in making a very powerful association and pass the Ali Act, let's say, there's nothing that says the, the association could be the people that have their own sanctioning organization. That's, it that's could be not, a sanctioning organization a decided by the fighters who decide the rules of how you win the, get the title. And, my, and my opinion on this, 
you say that the four titles may dilute the the fans watching it. I, I don't think it does because those four titles have existed for almost a hundred years. Well, no, those four titles. The, 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 well, the two of them are relatively new. They uh, they sprang up, but the there was two titles. Man, we're gonna have to go through it. But, but the IBF uh, title and the um, uh, WBC title are the most recent, and they started the '80s and they came out in the '80s and stuff. So, well, what, was, what were the titles that were created? Because it was 1926 that they created the sanctioning body. Yeah, that was the North American Boxing Association. There was a, there was a title that the North American. There's the newspaper titles. They had it all got together, and then the athletic commissions. And in 1980, what happened? There was a lawsuit in 1980, and the athletic commissions decided. We don't want to be responsible for these rankings. We don't want to be held responsible. And so they stopped being in charge of the, And so an independent body sanctioning university appeared. But then non-American members of it got annoyed because they thought that they were, you know, being favoring Americans. And so we, we got the, you know, splintered off groups. So that's how we started getting these multiple titles. Uh, I. Like I said, I don't know. Maybe multiple titles wouldn't hurt, but I, I do think there is a chance. What happens is the people pay attention to the champs, but they don't pay attention to the contenders as much when you have a lot of titles. If you have, but again, that's just this is kind of like this is like esoteric. Who knows? I mean, I don't. We don't really have a counter example of how much better one title. But a good example would be you could have two potential titles. In MMA, only two instead of four, and have one be the cage unified rules title, and the other be the ring pride rules. Very different rules, very different titles. So people would obviously separate them, and then you mm -hmm. could have you could still do you kind of yeah the cage guy goes fights the the, the ring guy, the ring guy goes fight, then you have a super yeah. fight, and you build up to the super fights. I I think my big belief in the reason why. Um, boxing isn't as easy or isn't as palatable to a lot of people is, is because of the consumption model. Like it's, it's people love the seventies and eighties because you would watch the big fights free on NBC sports or CBS sports or whatever. It was free and it was all centralized on one platform. Well, now there's like 50 different ways to watch, you know, a hundred different promoters and, and 14 different titles it's really confusing to, to watch and follow. Like I have a really hard time following MMA right now. Like, yeah. oh, there, there's fights on right now, which which place or whatever. Like I almost have to go to an illegal streaming service because that's the only place that puts everything in one spot. Yeah, well, I know I agree. That's a big problem with boxing when they moved. I mean, there was so much money when they moved to HBO and Showtime in the, in the late 80s and 90s. And because TV, you know, remember a guy died in the ring. That's why ABC stopped really wanting mm -hmm. to be full board on boxing but because they did that and moved out like people said it kind of separated them from the masses they're no longer a major pastime but the money was still great and and really i think one of the things too that's weak in boxing is the appearance of mma now they they actually have people that were might have been casual boxers fans might now be bigger mma fans there's not the the sport to decide who's Maybe. the baddest man on the planet Maybe. is not always I, I we we one of the things one of the statistics and one of the things that we came up with throughout the uh class action lawsuit in the fighters association was we saw the numbers on like who was watching what and boxing fans did not watch MMA yeah and boxing fans did not watch pro wrestling very much but like pro wrestling and and MMA was like an exact crossover like everybody oh, was oh, watching yeah, pro wrestling no, was watching. it's like 10% crossover to boxing but I'm thinking for the big events when you get a, a Mayweather Pacquiao yeah 
those aren't just boxing fans. Those are the same people that would have came over to watch the, you know, uh, uh, McGregor Khabib. You know, that yep. there's, when you start getting into the, the mega events, when you start getting the really big events, that's when you start getting these people like kind of swimming around and just, oh, I heard about this fight. And who's going to be the baddest man or the, 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 the mm-hmm. coolest fight? The schoolyard. Everybody heard the rumor. Yeah. They don't and know so the that's kids, where they heard they're meeting down. They're meeting down by the ditch yeah. after school. Let's all go check it out. But that's where I think some cannibalization of boxing audiences, because now it's not a guarantee that the big fight's going to be a boxing fight. It might be an MMA fight. It might be, mm-hmm. you know, so. But yeah, it's, it's only bare ten, knuckle or pillow pillow fighting. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really don't think bare knuckle is going to take off for pillow fighting. I just don't see. It I, I mean, I honestly, I like the idea of uh, MMA returning to bare knuckles and soccer kicks. Uh, well, I would like to see actual uh, all-in fighting, which is the old pro wrestling. With these, with pro wrestling, when there was sometimes real rules, where you know you could you're allowed to punch, but it had to be an open fist and you know, on the head and. But you could do it. basically it's MMA, but without the head trauma. And so I just, a lot of I just want to, I want a thirty minute fight, no ref in the ring, yeah. just go. Yeah. Well, I don't I mean thirty minute fight. It just it, it suddenly just turns into I'm, I'm like a purist. Like I I got into fighting because I wanted to know what really worked. Because I remember watching the old old fights and like watching Hoist Gracie do his thing and being like, hmm, I like I wonder if this would work or what would that would work or why these things are working for him or. Whatever. I, I cared more about the technique than the person or the promotion. I really wanted to understand the systems and like how the human body was able to do certain things in order to win a fight. Like I, the science of it was what really caught me. Yeah, no, I, I actually that's what first got me into it because I didn't I didn't like MMA at first. When I was around when the first UFC showed up and people were having parties and stuff, I I thought this was stupid. I thought there's two fat guys fighting. You know, like. <laughs> I, I, I watch boxing. There's a, this guy's in his pajamas. There's a fat like, guy, guy in a speedo. Yeah, yeah. yeah just none of this nuts. made sense to me. It didn't look like you know. It didn't look like top five. The, especially the first few. It didn't look like oh, these guys are really great fighters. And then, and then, uh, I was into martial arts a lot. And then I worked on a movie with uh, with Frank Shamrock and Randy Couture. And and you know, me, me and my brother, they they talked about it. I go, oh, shit, these guys actually know something. And th- this is like 2002, I think. So. Yeah. So then I give it another try, and I go, that's what, and I sort of, pre- I watched it for the martial arts, but I was watching early Pride, and I had no clue that it was based on pro wrestling, that that was, it was a big giant pro wrestling, I just oh, thought we, it was some wacky yeah, Japanese I, stuff. We, uh, yeah, I watched the early stuff, you know, in my buddy's basement, we get the pay-per-views, and, because we had, like, the, uh, the thing that let you hack the, the pay-per-view box or whatever, so we'd watch some of the boxing fights and the, and the MMA stuff for free, and, um, no, like I loved it because it was like all my friends, you know, I would challenge them all the time. It's like wrestlers are the best athletes hands down. I would challenge the basketball players and everybody. I was like, we'll pick 10 events. We'll like, we'll see who does the best and not all the 10 events. We'll pick guy the best. Some will pick a few guys from basketball team, a few guys from football team, a few guys from wrestling team. We'll see which guys perform the best in all these events. Forever. And then we'd go watch the fights and the wrestlers started smashing everybody. And I was like, see, haha. <laughs> Just so. Yeah. yeah, that well, I mean, I, I used to I, I played basketball in high school, but when I was in junior high, I used to wrestle. And I was actually, I, I you know, I mean, I wasn't like, you know, would have been a state champion. I was decent at it. I was just tall. So I went to, and, you know, and you can dunk, you go play basketball. That's a rule. Yeah. I, mean, it's enough, yeah. I, it's not, I don't like that rule. That's the rule. You got to go do it. So, mm-hmm. no, like, if I, if I, I would have been taller, I might have got stuck playing basketball because that's, I mean, that's where the girls are. You yeah, know, well, yeah. Like, that's where the, the, the girls are following the basketball players. 
Basketball players. Minnesota, so hockey might be where the girls are. Oh, but anyways, we, I digress. <laughs> I, I can't remember. We were, oh, we're skate hockey. chasers. They got they got skate chasers. That like I guess so. I don't Blade know. Chasers. I can't we I, we were not a good enough team to I think get a lot of the the hot chicks coming around for our game. Mm. So that was not the football. It was more yeah football. But yeah, better try at that. So, but uh, I I can't remember what we were, we were just talking about something about the sport. I can't remember now. Um, oh, uh, tight multiple titles and stuff. But yeah, but that's again I. It's just a theory I have, and we need more evidence. But that's, uh, you know, I, I think that's one hundred percent for the fighters. I think it should. No, be the I mean, I, I would, I would. Uh, I mean, it's going to be. I think two things could be cool. One would be um, <clears throat> the, you know, the promoters keep their promotional titles, but then we have a we have a unified title, and once once or twice a year, like. The, the number one guy and number two guy through the, the ranking system get chosen from the promotions, those promotions, to fight to see who's the unified champ, who's who's the number one guy for real. I, I mean, that's... But, see, my always think about how do you how do you organize that and how do you make that possible? And I think... Well, that, the promoters have to work together, which... Yeah, the, which never will happen, because promoters... Well, that, I mean, unless you force them to by law. Yeah, yeah, boxers won't do it. But I, I think the option is there's two options that MMA MMA fighters want to make more money. There's basically two ways to make more money. Maybe we can get both done, hopefully. But one is make the contracts a lot shorter. If the contracts are shorter, then fighters that if they've got their value and stuff, they can suddenly say, you're not paying me enough, I'm going to jump ship. The other one is take control of the titles and rankings from the promoters because then the, the fighter has the option of negotiating ahead of time. Like I have value, you you know, you can't dictate the terms to me because I can go anywhere and, and rise on my own. So both those things foster I think competition. I, I think we could, uh, I think we could definitely um, do that. I think um, we'll get into this more, uh, but yeah. you know, the sunset clause that, you know, Nagao has, uh, the five-year timeout. It's a it's a step. I'd like to see three year. I think we could get it to three years. I think that would be much better. But um, oh, my other way to fix things would be to have the UFC um, split from Zufa, and Zufa is a promoter, and then the UFC company is now the uh, sanctioning body. See that actually that's a, I don't know if you read old. I used to write old replies on websites and that was one from decades ago they go the, the dream situation is what people really want is they want the ufc to be the sanctioning organization people are yes. like you know boxing is screwed up all these sanctioning organizations and you know the best don't fight the best well what you really want in the best case scenario is the ufc is the sanctioning organization they rank everybody they you, a promoter pays to get the brand of the ufc in the case no, you know, ufc doesn't sign contracts so and they don't no. pay anybody and then and then scott coker and dana white and chatry and all these guys are competing they, they, they gotta fight it out they gotta fight yeah. it out to be the better promoter to get the better fighters and then pay for the license fee that always i was thought that would be a dream for some reason a lot of fans hate that idea but i think that would be the dream situation for mma because you have the best of both worlds you well you have a league then at that point then you have an actual league where you have multiple owners who have their fighters under contract who who fight for the sanctioned body title. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, yeah, that's, it would be a league. I mean, that's why, weird way I came up with the idea, uh, based partly on that, the idea of the, the an association having their own sanctioning title, because then it's kind of the same thing. It's like, yeah, it's okay, you won't, you guys, you promoters won't do what we want. We will be the ones that make sure the, the, the title becomes sacrament and, and no one screws with it. And then all you promoters have to fight over getting guys that can win this title. 
the one that, and then also we control the fact that the sanctioning organizations can't be bought off by the promoters. They don't charge ridiculous sanctioning fees that don't do anything. It's all, it all stays neutral. And the benefit is the fighters have much more leverage and get much bigger cuts. But uh, yeah. it's, uh, but you know, the fans hate fighters. <laughs> like it's the, it's the most, it's the strangest thing ever. I, and I don't know if every sport has this or goes through this. Every sport that does, um, this is one also little nugget of information we did learn was in every single uh, situation where players or athletes fought against the ownership uh, for, for more money or better treatment, the, 100% of the time, the fans always supported the, the billionaire owners. Oh, yeah. They, yeah, that's how talks Every single about time, they'll never support their, their co, like... The guy could be their neighbor, and they're like, "Yeah, fuck that guy. I love, I love the billionaire." <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's that, no that's, that's true. hundred Marvin Miller talks about that, and they and he, they always stress like the what's the fan saying this? Nothing. You guys have no say in this. You don't get to dictate the and the, and the weird way too. I think that's part of the problem with a lot of fighters. Is, well, how do we change the sport? Let's get the fans on our side. No, it's the fans. no. They're never going to be on your side. They're never were on your side. Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's a like, lot of fans I think actually that cheer for the fighters and stuff, but you can't expect the majority of fans. I don't know, man. Like most people's timelines, it seems like virtual and hate and like you suck and just, I don't know if it's jealousy or what it is, but the, a lot of fans get off on just shitting well, all over the fight I, again i really love nate Corey's thing about how uh you know like oh, i would do this i would play that's a game i i do that for free yeah because you suck that's why you do it for, i would do it for i would go play in the super bowl for free because there's no chance in hell i'll ever play in the super bowl yep. you know so that's of course you know that's the difference the difference is some people have dedicated their life to be the best in the world and now mm-hmm. have a skill and uh and and other people are like well if i walk in off the street the next day I'll, you know of course you don't deserve to get paid you did nothing to get there you won mm-hmm. the lottery no yeah that was somebody's comment about after after uh cyril cyril gone uh mm-hmm. won the title whatever like that like somebody said something about how much he got paid he's like oh you only had to, to fight for 15 minutes or whatever how much time the, the, the fight took to win that time I'm like dude he's been like competing he's been competing for like two decades Oh, yeah. It, 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 that's a huge pet peeve, Mike, because one is you're, people are complaining, like, oh, these guys get paid so much for doing so little work. Well, the, they deserve it because you're paying to watch this. Why would they get all the money? And if you're going to complain about how much it costs, complain how much the promoters are charging us. Because mm-hmm. the truth is, like, okay, you only want this fighter to make 600000 That's fine. Then why are we spending? Why is this event making 30, 40, 50 million? Uh, that's all excess profit mm-hmm. to a person that did nothing. You know, the, the, yeah. the machine was put in place years ago. They, the UFC, before the year starts, as long as they hold their events, it's a profitable year, a tremendously yeah. profitable. All their expenses are covered. So I, I never that, get that. Plus, I, to me, it's, this is my way I look at it. Okay, if Canelo Alvarez wants to charge me 80 bucks to watch him and another guy beat each other in the head for 12 rounds, who am I to say no? These guys are putting themselves through hell for 12 rounds you can charge me whatever I want. I can say no and not pay. But what bugs me a little bit more about MMA and stuff and corrupt boxing guys too is I don't like the idea that I'm paying this and like 10 cents out of every every pay-per-view is going to the fighter that I'm paying to watch. Mm-hmm. With Canelo Alvarez, I know about half that pay-per-view is going to him and his opponent. That If I'm yeah. paying 85 bucks, I'm pretty sure about 40, 40 some bucks is going to those two guys. Yeah. If I'm buying a UFC pay-per-view for 70 bucks, I'm not sure more than a dollar. So that money's going to Dana's hookers. 
Yeah, well, that's you know they deserve it too. They take risks. They, <laughs> I'm not knocking the you know whoever's you know I'm not knocking it. Sex job. workers deserve that money too. You got to put up with some just disgusting men. You, they deserve anything they can get. But <laughs> it's the, the, I just don't think that money should be available because it should be already so been spent on the fighters. So that's that's one of the major problems we have, and fans don't really understand at all is the position the UFC is in right now. How absolute little. Um, any of the names actually mean or make make the UFC money. Uh, I think it was I saw something somewhere. It was something like Conor McGregor, his his last year that he fought or whatever was, you know, like his numbers were less than like five percent of their bottom line, which which is still a decent amount of money. But like, is it it's not enough money to sway them into changing the way they do anything? And yeah. and, and and it's been. Nobody's ever been as popular as him, as nobody's drawn in as much attention or made as much money as him. Nobody's brought in as much money as him, even close. And if he's barely scratching the surface, if he's not doing enough to like sway them, what's the hope for anybody else? I think that percentage, I think I, I'm the one that came up with that percentage. I remember doing I that, calculating. I, I think it might have been more than 5%, but it's still, you think about it. He sold two pay-per-views this year that sold close to 3 million. So he sold, uh, he sold over a third. He was the main event, kind of the guy, the main person responsible for over a third of their pay-per-view sold this year. A third. And on top of that, he's the only one that had a real, of the few gates, he had by far the biggest gate. And he probably got a huge sight beat from uh, United Arab Emirates when they were up there with the previous one. But you add that money up because so much is contractual revenue. And, you know, the upside of the pay-per-views starts, at, I can't remember what number, but he's only adding a few 10, instead of him adding 50, 60 million to each event, he's only adding a 10, 20 million. So his, the swing, if him not fighting costs them less than 10%, which is a lot of money. If your company makes 900 million and one guy not fighting can cut it down to 90 million, that's a lot. But compared to how much the events on their own do, if they were standalone events, and compared to how that's the number one fighter and his this one guy not fighting only costs us this much in revenue per year. It's it's very hard for fighters to have leverage. They can't. Yeah. The individual good. fighters I, that doesn't mean individual there, fighters. There is no leverage. Anymore. Nobody has leverage anymore. Yeah, exactly. If Conor McGregor barely has any leverage, yeah. then then what's the hope of anybody else? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, oh, just be better like, than just be bigger than Connor. That's that's gonna be some, yeah, yeah, some that's, idiot's that's gonna say that. Thing is people like tell you you gotta learn the game and be and learn to be promotional, promotable. And you're like, well, how many fighters per at a time do you think are really charismatic, promotable figures? There's like a handful at a and, time. A lot of guys don't get this too, though. But like, the UFC controls a lot of the media. A lot of the guys aren't gonna, you know. So if if they're not pushing somebody, if they don't want somebody to get pushed, if they're having contract issues with somebody, they'll bury him. They'll they'll make sure okay. everything 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 that's said about him is negative. They'll make sure that everybody thinks that he's a bum and and not popular. Um, they 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 control the I they control the message boards. I think they own a lot of the message boards. I think uh, mixedmartialarts.com. I think is owned by the UFC. I think they have po paid posters. I think they control the narrative of what's going on. So they'll tell everybody, oh, this see everybody hates him. They're, he's not popular. Nobody likes this guy. To to completely take away the guy's leverage. Also, well, I, I do think there's some positive news that's happened in the last couple of years. Is in the past, if Dana White didn't li like you and said that guy is an asshole, whatever, he's the one responsible. All the fans would group up, even if he's wrong. Remember, he called uh, Loretta Hunt the like uh, the c word or whatever, and said 
derogatory remarks for reporters and all the fans sided with Dana White. But now watch, when he's talking about Ngannou or even Jake Paul and other people, a lot of the fans push back and say, you're lying. This guy's the lie. You know, they, they side with the fighters now. So that's good mm-hmm. news. And that, but that's been, that's been a slow process. On a sale. small scale. On a small scale. Yeah, yeah. But at the, I, I do want to defend the media in some ways because I don't think people understand how MMA media works. Uh, they, it's there's PR. A it's not media. I don't even want to call them Well, it's, it's not a lot. It's but MMA it's, PR. It's public relations. They work for the promoters. Sort of, but but okay. Listen, I like people are like, oh, you know, I, I I'm a pushback against the UFC or something like this. This big form. They first of all, they never read my. No one, very few people read my shit. It's select group. I have no. Well, it's not. No it's not what we call red meat. It's not red yeah. meat. But but you but it's like why don't other reporters do what I do? Well, I do this as a part time. I have a full time regular job and I do very little work in MMA. I do article a month. I do. Bloody elbow, which a lot of people don't like, but you know, I don't care if you don't like them. They're the only people that will pay me to do this. No other website has the money and will pay me to do this. So you better like bloody elbow because they're the only ones willing to do this. Pay it, and and I don't blame the other websites too because there's very little value in this. The 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 kid Nate Nate Wilcox the guy that was the editor in chief before they sold the SB Nation runs, but he his idea is he wants bloody elbow to cover this full gamut and present you know. The full, you know, the, the full spectrum of the sport, and so that's why he's willing to pay me and a few other guys to do this stuff. But for a lot of sites, for a lot of writers, there's writers I know that want to do. I mean, Stephen Morocco is a great MMA guy. He's the guy that did the Spencer Fisher story. But when does he have time to write a story? Those take forever, and and he because he's a full time MMA report media guy, he's expected to turn out an article, two articles a day. So that means you're like, okay, what can I look for a story? What can, okay, this MMA, you know, I mean, one of the biggest hits we had on, at, on the website one time was jujitsu fight one by fart. There, that's a that's a godsend. I'm gonna I'm gonna write this story and I'm gonna get a shit ton of traffic and the website stays alive. Yeah. And that's for a lot of MMA reporters, they don't have the they cannot dedicate the time and so much work just to crank out crappy content that you don't you you will never get around uh, to reporting it. And then the other ones are the guys that do interviews. The interview guys are probably the ones that are the most softball because they need to get people to show up and do interviews with them. If yeah. they can't get them, they, they can't be adversarial because yeah, they won't they, get they, the interview anymore. Exactly. And so they're beholden to the, the, the industry. They're beholden to managers, the fighters, and the promotion because if they're too confrontational, then the, the spigot stops. So that's you're kind of stuck. And MMA media is kind of screwed that way because they're dependent on the the, the the traffic generated by these sites and that the media people working in it, the guys that work full-time, they're expected to generate so much traffic that they, they can't spend the energy on real stories. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I got to mention, we have a super chat here. Um, he's uh, Lucas is saying that uh, there are also fighters that have daddy issues that also defend Dana White. I will say this. There are more uh, fighters with daddy issues, and there are uh, OnlyFans girls with daddy issues. They they will put themselves in the worst situations, worst positions, just so that Daddy Dana will pat them on the head and tell them good job. Yeah, probably. I don't. You know the psychology of fighters better than me. I don't know. I'm not. I, it, I mean, I just. Yeah, it's just. I don't want to. I'm going to get him to say something nice about me. I'm going to. I'm yeah. going to show. I'm going to show Dana. I'm going to show the guy who's robbing me and stealing from me probably talk shit about me uh, you know i'm gonna show him and he's gonna love me now it's a serious daddy issue i think a lot of these guys need some therapy uh, well i think it's i think there's there's a whole gamut of the population that this way and i think it's uh, but it's 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, this. I, well, I they have a couple lost boys. generations, the lost boys. There's, there's, well, it's, I, I think that might be, but it's. I, I think it's much more the fact that uh, we've. If you go back 50, 60 years ago, and I'm not going to get too long on this nonsense because I'm, but I'm a big New Deal guy. If you go back, workers used to have a thing called solidarity, and workers used to have an yes. idea that we're a class and we're going to stand up for the workforce, we're going to stand together. And there are famous cases where, you know, uh, strawberry pickers in California, these migrant workers were trying to make a union, and Detroit still, you know, got Pittsburgh steel workers and Detroit auto workers would say, yes, yeah. we support you. Here's some money. You know, we're, yep. you know, you're you're fighting the boss we're with you in the 70s that old top we we basically ended the idea of labor uh and i'm a, i believe entrepreneurship is good but the vast majority of people are not going to be entrepreneurs and the idea that oh everybody's got to be an entrepreneur and that's how to make it that's the idea that you're an individual and we don't work together that's i think that's part of it and it's it's yeah. killed this the idea that you, you stand up it, it with is it's weird where that person. where did that where did that come from you think because I, I mean I, I have my degree in history too so I, I studied all that new deal stuff and i remember reading all about you know you know people different industries sticking together and going on strike to help each other out like that was lost somewhere was it because the the um a lot of the jobs were shipped overseas. That's a big part of it. I mean, that's a huge part. We, uh, the the what I guess what people would call the neoliberal turn, I think, ended all that because the neoliberal turn was where uh, a bunch of business people were basically waiting for the chance, and seventies inflation and stuff took off, and they started dismantling the New Deal project. The idea that we're gonna that labor and capital should be on par with each other. They should equal negotiating ability, which is basically an Abraham Lincoln idea that labor comes before capital. So labor and capital, now it's like, no, capital is more important. And so, yeah, we shipped off jobs overseas, and that killed unions because most unions were factory jobs, and so now unions are weak. And then uh, and then the workers that used to work in unions, they're making less, and so there's less jobs for people that didn't go to college. And then everybody's told you got to go to college to get a good job, so everybody goes to college. What happens? Now we have too many people that graduate from college, and there's not enough college jobs for them. So Or they get, or they get, a, they get a ridiculous degree that has no potential of making any money whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. But that's because people were told, a lot of people were told, you have to go to college. Un and unicorn you, gender study. You need study. to get a degree. And it's like, well, I'm not. Well, and they, they started letting, they also started letting anybody in. If you get a student loan, you got into college. Well, yeah, especially especially those for-profit colleges, which should have never been allowed to exist. Where they and they would help you get the government loan because they would get the maximum amount and then charge you a ton because then they got the money and now you're saddled with tons of debt. So it's a whole process, but it's also there was a process that called the the meritocracy. This idea came around that that if you became successful, you deserved it. And I and I believe everybody you should. I don't. I think it's a, merit's a good thing. If you work hard and you're the best, you deserve it. Yeah. But there's a danger. There's a Michael Sandel wrote a book on this. The danger is if you tell everybody that you deserve it and you don't make it, that makes you the loser that failed. And so if you have a job position and five people want it and only one can make it and you're like, well, he earned it. That's fine. He deserved it. But then should the other four people be sentenced to loserdom that they have no opportunities because there was only one job available. And that's kind of the system we've kind of set up that over the years is like, you, yes. And, and, and you deserve it and and that's what like i don't think that if you fail like if you don't if the, the way it is now if you good you if you want a good income you are told you have to get a college degree and if you did not get a college degree or the right college degree or whatever you're to blame and guess what there's a lot of people that college isn't the right choice for them i don't think those people deserve 
half most of the jobs too that they do that not going to college are just as important or even more important than some of the shitty college jobs. I mean, I like what I make, but I don't know if I'm as, as important during this pandemic. If I'm as important as a guy working at a warehouse making sure goods get to people that need it. So, so I, anyways, that's the same. I don't want to get to because I can go on forever about that crap. So mm-hmm. I don't want to. But uh, yes, yeah, fighters. The uh, it's the fighters arc. I don't know if I ever asked you about that when I did some, but I asked other fighters. They a lot of them describe as you start off, you're just happy. You, you, your whole life is trying to get the UFC. First thing you get the UFC, you're just happy to be there. You think yeah. if I win and look good, they will reward me. Well, I mean, you're so, also broke. Yeah, <laughs> you're also dead broke. Like, I I didn't make more than a thousand dollars until the fight before I got into the UFC. That was the first time I made more than a thousand dollars for one fight. Yep. So like when I got signed for three and three, like, I was freaking rich. Well, that, that's why I talk about that, that one area where the UFC is beats boxing. It's the undercard. You come to the UFC, you're going to make a lot more than you did before. You're going to be very happy. I mean, I had, I had like 15 fights already though. At that time point in time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, truthfully, that should, the, that should be, what I was like, on a, yeah. But but I got I bet you when you got to the UFC you were fairly happy because you were making a lot more suddenly in the UFC than you had in the regional scene right? What's that? Were you making when you got to the UFC and they they signed you and you went to the UFC were you making more those first few fights than you had the previous fights outside the UFC? Yes. Yeah. See that's the so that's a positive but then the problem starts because you're happy to be there you're happy that Mm -hmm. you're making you don't complain Mm -hmm. you think if I just do good I'll be rewarded. And so you keep head well, down, keep fighting. You have fighting. no idea how much money they're making off your oh, yeah. shoulders either. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because because the because the, the lie they're selling you is like they're struggling. We're barely making any money. Like we're losing, guys. You know, like that's the attitude they're giving you. Yeah. Like the, well, they're not. They're not telling I, you. That. I they're hope. Going, I hope that doesn't still work. Twenty six percent. I think it was twenty six percent. Like my star. That was. Yeah. I, I, if they're that. telling you, if they're telling you that, I hope they're not telling fighters now. That they're not making money because that if that if that's the case that's a i mean in the past i can kind of understand people falling for it because the information wasn't out there even though it was pretty obvious they were making money but now that'd be like a bold place lie but I, get back to the fighters arc i was saying is you you keep trying and trying and it's only okay you're like i keep trying and i'm sooner or later they're gonna reward me it's only when you see the end of your career you start realizing i never got the payday that was gonna you know make this worthwhile and so because your head was down and i and another problem too, fighters is fighters focus on training all the time. Fighters focus on you, you've got a, unless you're a heavyweight, you've got to starve yourself. And and there's a lot of there's a lot of research. If you starve yourself, your thinking dwindles. Your cognitive abilities. You're not. That's that's why fighters need to get my book, The Wake Up Bible. And yeah. you know, look at that. I sent you there because it'll teach you the right way. You won't starve yeah. yourself. But same pitch. I set you up for a commercial right there. But that's I think people don't understand if you're if they've done the Minnesota study did this during World War II and they studied that doesn't make you think clearly. But also you know like you said some guys have a lot of dad issues and they put a lot of trust into their managers. Also these managers aren't managers. They're broking agents. They work for the promoters. Oh, they're 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 not going to put themselves in a bad situation. They're not going to put other fighters they represent in a bad situation fighting for you. They're not going to do it. Like yeah, they're, they're there it. to make money. They're there to make money long term. They know your short your career is going to be short, no matter how good you are. Yeah. Like they have no qualms about screwing you over and, and preventing you from making good money as long as they get paid. Yeah, there's a trend I noticed that uh, 
with UFC management is if you look at the guys in the past that would take their fighters out of the UFC and use the market to try to get more money out of them. Jeff Clark did that with Roger Warta. Monty Cox tried that with, uh, he did with Robbie Lawler first and other guys. Um, uh, Zinc and Entertainment did that for a while. Uh, all those guys got just slapped down by the UFC and are either out of the, Sam Spira, Spira with uh, Randy Couture. If you do that, when, when the Fertitas were around, I think it's somewhat changed a little bit. Uh, a big part of the lawsuit. You do that for the second. We have a super chat here asking what's the uh, most script thing you have ever did. Uh, ever impressed you from them? Uh, Luke was asking this. Well, the thing that was the most screwed up with the UFC that they ever did was they sent somebody after my fight with Diego Sanchez into the back to lie to me and tell me that they needed my uh, shorts and gloves to sell for charity. And later I got a check in the mail for like a thousand bucks or some bullshit. They sold it. It wasn't for charity. It was for profit. That, that was the most screwed up thing because I never would have given it to them. The most impressive thing that they've ever did is uh, their narrative control. They, they say something, all of the press will pick it up and regurgitate it and say it back. Like they have tight control. It's kind of like like the uh, press 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 conference, the White House press room. All right here we go. John's back. Back. Oh, I'm back. I think actually the static. I think it's your shirt might be the static room. So I'm just saying. So uh, I can't remember where we we're going. Oh, the. I can't remember. You asked me whatever you wanted to do about the finance stuff. Well, okay. So we're coming up an hour. So like one last thing is um, how big of a deal is this new sunset clause? Uh, and how much is it going to change things? Because we're already seeing Naganu taking advantage of this and putting himself in a situation where he's, he could possibly make more money in one boxing match or whatever his next fight is than he ever made at the UFC. And you're going to see other young fighters see what he's doing and be able to maybe time their contracts in similar fashions. Yeah, it's um, first of all, it's a pretty big deal because it's never happened before. If you went back to the old Fertitta days, this would never be under contract with him. Uh, GSP is actually my understanding. He even said it. I think he has that. He fought in 2018 on a new contract. I think it has a sunset provision. So he should be because he retired. He should be up either at the end of this uh no 2017 he fought didn't he yeah no 2017 yeah 2017 was his fight his contract five year up should be up at the end of this year or beginning of, of next year so he's another fighter that's potentially going to be on the market but it's a fairly big deal it's 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 not a game changer in the sense well, of why gsp versus khabib and eagle fc it's it's possible i mean who knows maybe khabib's thinking something like that maybe that's why khabib hasn't come back uh you know, we, there's other fighters, but Nick Diaz is going to, but Nick Diaz is going to fight his contract. There's two things I think going on. One is there's this five-year sunset clause. And so some fighters are going to hold out. Some bigger name fighters that are around are going to hold out and get on the market. Two is the UFC has changed their behavior uh, that they're no longer doing the stuff that, I mean, they still use like the provision to extend contracts. They did the Gagano when they've done it with Diaz. But they're not playing as hardball as they used to. They're letting they're letting Diaz fight that contract out. Uh, in the past, they would have made yeah. him sit out forever to let him do that. No, like the, the lawsuit is not going well for them. They know, and 
we if we keep if we keep putting more fighters, pulling more fighters, and suing again and resuing, it's going to get very expensive for them long term. And you know, we're well, still sitting here waiting, 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 waiting for this uh, on class certification. Once we get it, like we're we're right there, and we're going to be in a position to uh, go to trial. I don't think they'll want to go to trial and try to go and try to negotiate and try to settle, but that sets them up for more litigation down the road. I mean, you should know more because you can speak to the, your attorneys that are actually doing this. I don't know how well it's going, but I do know that obviously they feel it's a threat. If they, they didn't feel it was a threat at all. They weren't worried about it progressing. They wouldn't have yeah. changed the contracts. They wouldn't have changed their behavior. Mm -hmm. So it's obvious because the, exactly when they changed those contracts is when the two class periods separated. Yeah. And you know, they, and they raised the difference in the climate. Well, now the the second we filed it, they, they bumped the um, baseline pay. Yeah, that's but so that that forced their hand immediately. Like, yeah, I have been I have been too. making fighters more money for so long now. <laughs> where's your Where's your percent? You know, so, you know you yeah, like I get zero I get zero credit for it. So yeah. I it was my you know when guys when we used to allow the banners behind guys in the UFC like do it in other sports, but the banners with the with the um yeah. with the sponsors on it that was my idea. Oh really? That was my idea. We were at um, <clears throat> it was Couture Sylvia. In Ohio, I had fought earlier that night, and I was sitting up there with Crazy Bob in one of the box seats, and I'm watching these Brazilians fight, and every one of them brought their Brazilian flag, and I was like, Bob, like, these guys can bring flags and hang them up back there. I was like, what if we, what if we print sponsorships on a, on a banner and put that behind us? And Bob's like, eyes lit up. I said, that's a good idea. The, the very next guy we had fighting was Michael Swick, and Mike Swick was the first guy to ever have sponsors on his banner. You should have patented it. Where's your cut? You should ask for a cut of every fighter that did that. You should ask. You guys should ask. Think of it. If you guys win and you give the fighters, and I think you, I don't think it's going to go to trial. I got a feeling that the best, the most likely outcome is we'll have a settlement because they, I, you know what, I, I don't think it's going to go to trial because they don't ever want full full discovery of all this stuff and the emails to come out. Well, I think I, be, I, I think there will be straight murders. I think there are fighters who will come after managers and promoters once they find out how how much they got screwed over by these people. Well, these you people should ask your attorneys to, to release those so I could see what those emails are. So, or, or just you know, if you guys want to email me and secret, you know, on the side, DM me those messages. I'd be more than willing to look at what have, the messages. Have, 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 have them put it all in an email and give you the code and tell somebody they had. I, I appreciate that, but uh, just as an outside observer, my feeling is and, and is that the the case is the chances are. That even if it's even if the UFC thinks they, they can they have a chance to win the case, the potential damages, the potential results are so catastrophic for the industry. They have to they have to narrow the damages. Is why they done this contract to kind of make sure the second class isn't as damaging, and that they they don't have to worry about in the future. And they'll they'll end up settling with you guys. Now the funny thing is, if they do settle, this is the thing they dragged it out so long, and they let's say they settle for five hundred million. A large sum of money. They call you guys. That's almost double what every fighter made back in the day. Well, first of all, you're gonna be. You, you guys should be asking, like, listen, we just made you more than any manager ever, and we, you know, I got, and I got very. I didn't get twenty percent of that from you guys. So that's the first <laughs> thing I would call every fighter I know and brag about that. But the the thing is interesting is the UFC because they've dragged out their revenue is so high now, a billion dollars a year. That's one year of earnings. So they'll lose mm -hmm. one year of earnings to cover the fighters. And, that, and that's their plan, I think, to cover it and and, and limit the damages and, and the contract. They'll let a few fighters like Francis Agano go, and he'll make more money ever somewhere else.
but their business can keep going as is. Mm -hmm. And that just my I, that's just my guess. What's gonna what's happening right now? So, yeah. so it's but you know it, the the France and Gano having a son's supervision is huge because uh, first of all, I'm kind of surprised how many people I don't think were aware of the provision. Uh, yeah, I mean outside it's obvious why people shouldn't be aware. Well, we're not. We but, we found out about it. I found out about it a, a few months ago. I mentioned it on one of my shows. But um, yeah, it was it was news to us. Like we we didn't know because that happened in 2017. Those contract changes were made in 2017. We just heard about it this last year in 2021. Yeah. So I mean, first you guys don't have discovery. I mean, I found out. I guess I found out before you. I think I found out before you guys because I remember uh, requesting. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I, I asked some well, of your attorney. That's how that's how we found out about it because when we uh, when when CB Dalloway and John Johnson filed for the next class. They, they that was part of their argument of why they shouldn't be allowed onto the existing class was because the contract changes. That's how we found out. Well, that and and that's that's interesting. It happened right then, and and because of that, because of this contract changed now and got to. Uh, but again, a lot of fighters, I think people, current fighters, current managers, I would call, and they said they weren't aware, and I'd go, "Well, can you check?" And they would check their. Oh yeah, it's there. I'm like, "This is the first time you spotted it. You didn't realize that was in your contract." You. So I was a little, I don't know if they were just lying to me or what, but some managers and fighters were telling me, you know, that this is the first time they spotted it. But uh, now that because of that, it, I think in Gano, it's also funny how many people still kind of seem to be in denial. I've, I've heard from some people like, oh, that's not true. The UFC will be able to stop them. I'm like, no, it's pretty clear cut in that contract. It's five years max, and it's pretty clear cut in all the other contracts I've seen. Yeah. It's five years max, so... Uh, there will be a change in the market slightly. I don't think it'll drastically change. The UFC will still hold the position. There'll be a change when when Agano leaves and he makes a lot of money somewhere else. There will be other fighters that, uh, I don't, not every fighter will be able to do this, but there will be fighters that have some name recognition, some value, some title, whatever. They will be able to hold out and make and if they want make money somewhere else, and that's great. That's that, I mean, everybody should be happy by that. Yeah. Oh, all right, so uh, baby steps. We're getting somewhere. Like I'm, I like fighting is in the sport of MMA has become more palatable to me since I found out about the sunset laws. Yeah. Well, it, people might not want to hear this. Is the weird thing. Hope. Yeah, this is the weird thing that uh, if you look at, I'm sure I know a lot of people have this affection for the Pertitas and stuff that era. A lot of fans and even some fighters. I know you they stole know. the sport. They stole it. They stole the sport. But they, they, voted, they voted it, down the original vote for legalization in, in Nevada. Yeah. They they bought it cheap. They defunded. They they pulled strings. They had their buddy Harry Reid. They had John McCain. They pulled all the strings they freaking could. They had malicious intent to defund the original UFC owners and buy it cheap. They stole it. They stole the sport. They didn't do some great thing. They're criminals. Allegedly. They allegedly. Allegedly. Let's like, make sure you put the allegedly in allegedly. But. The, well, are they going to sue me that I get discovery? Yeah, <laughs> I don't think they want that to happen. It's going to be perfect for you. But uh, with Ari, uh, Emmanuel, and Endeavor, the, the weird thing people, I don't think, is the contract, their behavior. I mean, Dana White still might be you know, yelling at fighters and freaking out. Mm -hmm. But the behavior of the company and the contracts are better than they were. In fact, in many ways, a lot of people will tell, told me the contracts now for the UFC are the best contracts in the business and in many ways are better than boxing contracts. Because boxing contracts, 
you know, what makes boxing better, though, is you have such competition. You can ask for a lot before you can sign the contract. In, in a way, but at the same time, I think it's slimy the way they have um, – they control the identity and merchandising and all that stuff. Yeah. You know, like well, that's yeah, but the fighters have no right a lot of stuff to you know that they're selling and making money on the video games. They started paying them a little bit. Uh, that was also because of the the class because of the last the last section lawsuit. Like it's not for free. You're not forced into it for free like I was. So they're getting a little bit of money, but it's way, way, way undervalued for what they should be making for it. Well, I will put on the video game. It still says in the contracts that it's up to them if they want to pay you. You you still. You still can be in the video games for nothing. And uh, also, but the image right returns to the fighter two years after the deal's done. Before it was forever. I mean, you held, you quit the UFC briefly because it was forever. Yeah. And now it says it's only while you're there and then two years after maximum. So mm -hmm. that's a big change, even though it's not like it's not world changing. It is a big change. So, you know, that that's helpful. But uh uh, but I guess my, my thing is, is, like, Endeavor is not behaving the same way as it was before, where they would lock people out, like Orlovsky and stuff, for a year, where they would do all this stuff. Because And part of it is because they, they won the game so much, UFC, they were so far ahead that they're just making so much money they don't have to. But it is nice that they're not doing that stuff. It is nice that fighters, like, eventually, if they want to, they can fight out their contract eventually. You know, and yeah. that they can, if they, there's a sunset provision where that instead of having to fight out and go through all these fights, you can say, listen, I'm just not, you know, you're not making me a good offer. I will sit for a year, whatever, two years max, and I'll be a free agent. Where, you know, Nate Diaz, they're not named Nick Diaz, he sat on the shelf for seven years. Yeah. To get that. He still was signed to the FC. That's why he came back, to, you know, he couldn't go anywhere else. So yep. that's that's a positive. So in that case. Yeah, man, it's, uh, it's a little bit brighter, a little bit brighter. We, it's a baby step, but it's moving in the right direction, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to hide that. Uh, I'm, in, I, I, I'm impartial in the sense that the outcome, you know, I'm not behind. But I admit I like the changes that are happening. I like uh, I, 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 I don't think it's a I don't think it's a, a secret that I thought the UFC had a monopoly monopsy. I was I was writing articles before you guys filed that I thought mm -hmm. that. So so I think that's a positive. That's yeah. you know that's the right step. I just. Uh, the next step for fighters, uh, I mean, again, it's up to you guys, the fighters, to do something. But I think the next step is getting some sort of swelling of solidarity so you can get more stuff done. Association, MMAFA, it would be nice to have some people to step in and join and uh, <clears throat> take control. And that's the thing with what we're doing is, like, we don't have, like, um, we're not dictating what's happening. We're like, every, hey, everybody come and join us so we can vote and decide together where to go. That's why it's really um, infuriating to me, all these other people who've popped up ask, acting like they're trying to help and they, they dictate, this is what's gonna happen. I'm the president of this organization. It's like, what, who voted you to be president? Like, it's very, uh, yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's very not annoying. Sense. And I found out very recently, um, what's her name? Um, she made a big stink about everything and then part of her Bellator contract was to say that she would uh, not do any more of the organizing stuff. Oh, you're talking about Leslie Smith? Yes. Oh, well, that's kind of mean by Bellator to have that in there. That, uh, there. She agreed to it. She yeah. agreed to, to to give up her principles and everything she was fighting for. 
foul. I, I, I mean, that's kind of bullshit by Bellator still. That, that, that You can't market yourself as the fighter-friendly promotion and then tell a fighter not to, that the only way you're going to give them a paycheck. It's not like, you know, it's not like you have a lot of options. For women's MMA at weight class, like Bellator and, and, and UFC. And so that's... Well, you have Invicta, but I think Invicta really is subservient to UFC anyway. Yeah, they were for a long time. So, you know, they were yeah. but... That again, that's there's not a lot of options for fighters, so but that's kind of fucked up. Yeah. And, uh, I didn't, yeah, I missed that part where she had it in her contract. She couldn't talk, yeah. About I found it. that out. Um, there's a there's a there's a uh, uh, documentary being funded by Jim Clark. No, um, oh, yeah, I see, we talked about him earlier, didn't realize yeah. he was funding a documentary. He's, uh, man, he's got some stories about some stuff oh, they yeah. did to railroad him bad. I'm sure, man. he does. I'm sure oh, he does. Man. Like straight up criminal gangster stuff. Like he had all these. I was. I don't know if it was uh, action cards or whatever it was. He had something. He had all these guys lined up. He had all this money, everything set up, and they're, he, he called him into the office, and they're like, "We need those contracts." Uh, he's I, like, "Oh, well, like, wh- what do you want to pay me for them?" They're like, "No." They're like, "Give us the contracts." <laughs> Again, this happened allegedly. Even though I heard the story, allegedly. something similar. This happened allegedly. You got to be allegedly. very careful. According to him, his story. What's that? According, that was his story that he told me. Yeah, I had yeah, never so even heard of it. That was his alleged story. <laughs> That's, uh, but uh, yeah, I heard something similar that the. Uh, I, I think you guys had some allusions to stuff like that in that complaint. So uh, I've, I've heard similar stuff. That, that was a common Bertita tactic: is that if you came up with a source of revenue that they hadn't delved into yet, they would come down hard and make sure you. They would use the weight of their promotion and your ability to fight inside that promotion and stuff as as yeah. levers to make sure they got a piece of that. And so that was, that's not, that's not a positive. So, uh, yeah, I, I, it's a, you, you signed up for a fucked up sport, which I tell you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, we did. Yeah. But, but I mean, uh, I mean, it honestly, it, it, it got, it wasn't as, it got more fucked up. Like it started off a little bit fucked up and then it got really <laughs> fucked up. And then now we have the lawsuit going and then now it's starting to get a little bit unfucked. No. Well, it's like a, it was like a frog in the boiling water. They could turn it slowly. So, yeah. but now, do you speak to a lot of fighters still? Current fighters? Not, or? not really. Honestly, most guys avoid me because they, they don't. They're, they're la, 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 la. they don't want to hear it. They don't want to. I was just wondering what they is from fighters. Uh, I speak to a few, but I have like a, I, I used to call and text just tons of people. Now I've narrowed. It. I just you know I don't bother anymore. But, but I was just curious what the reaction to Ngannou uh, potentially fighting out of his contract. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually started going back into the gym in AKA, and like nobody's talking about it. Oh, that's that's interesting. That no one even yeah, nobody even no one mentioned it or said anything, or it wasn't like a topic of discussion. That's that's interesting that there was the heads down. I mean, it hasn't changed. That seems very similar to the past, where uh, where people bring stuff up and they just didn't there was a, there was a small period of time where guys were talking. There was oh, there was a, like, there was a period. Right like we had a, we had an open chat. We had like 250 guys in the chat. Yeah. People were yeah. asking questions. Like people were at the gym asking questions. People was wanted right to know information. But at a certain point, they're just like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't know. Was that right after the UFC sale? That period, or right around when the news came out? Yeah, it was. It was something like that. Because I like did it uh, probably the year after. Okay, because I did it. Then, uh, then you had like the MMA people, and then you had Lizzie yeah. Smith's thing, and like when those well, things happened, it just like took the attention away, sucked the, the air out of it, and then nobody talked about it anymore. Yeah, I mean, I'm 
uh, MMA was the, the biggest farce. That was pretty obvious because I'd actually heard about them uh, even before I thought about it. Dude, like they didn't even know why they were there. Yeah. Talking Kane about it. About Kane, Kane was like, oh, they just management just asked me to go and show up. Like, I didn't and know what they were doing. I don't know if you ever found out because I, I think people, I'm the guy that reported your lawsuit before everybody else, right? I mm-hmm. mean, Brent Brookhouse. But the reason I found out about your lawsuit was I found that Bjorn Revney was planning an antitrust lawsuit, a part of mm-hmm. Bellator. And I was just randomly tracking people down, and I and I started harassing Rob Macy. But I was actually hearing news about Bjorn's potential lawsuit, and which was ended up eventually being the MMAA because apparently I, I think he heard about what you guys were planning and working on, and then he yep. tried to jump in. He tried. He basically tried to steal it. He tried to piggyback. That, and steal the it. only reason I found out about your guys' lawsuit because I was accidentally calling people involved in your lawsuit, thinking it was part of Bjorn. So it was a, a mess, confusing thing. So. But the that down the sale, I, I do remember there was a period I did a piece about what UFC fighters really make, and I had all this information about like you know the disclosed pay and side letters, all the stuff I never knew about before. Yeah, and and it was almost all the information was for the few months because everybody was pissed about the sale. They were pissed about the Reebok deal, about mm-hmm. Jose and Usada, and the sale all yeah. coming one after the other, and and that for like three months I could just call and get a hold of anybody. And people would tell me like, "This is how much I made. This is the this is all I got." And, and then it, and then a new crop of fighters were hired, you know, signed, and they didn't care anymore. They yep. shut up. Yep. So. Just cycled so them out. That, Just stalled long enough for a new cycle group of guys to come through. So yeah, it was, but you know, that's the way it works. But I think, uh, you know, uh, but I do think. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you know because I've written about this even for years before. You might not know, but I am partial to the strategy you guys are doing because I do think the step business so association and the Ali Act, and yep. I've, I've written about this before. I've asked many boxing the, the, guys. The Ali Act is the backstop. The association is the enforcer. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there's other, again, it's up to fighters. If fighters want to be employees, and there's reasons I don't think I'm a, as a massive a union guy as I'm incredibly pro-union. There's reasons why I don't think a union worked for MMA. But if fighters wanted, if the rest of the fighters want to go that way, I can't argue with them. But I think uh, we all... You end, you end up having competing unions, though, because you have a Bellator union and a, and a UFC well, yeah, union. Well, the individual would be by piece by... We'd have to really to make it work. And, 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 and the, the unions old. are going to fight with each other because, you know, they're going to want to get the guys that make the most money because that well, means the union's going to make it's, more it's money. Not, that's not my concern. It's the problem is the union have no leverage because... The way employment works in MMA is, uh, you know, the number one tool a union can do is strike. And so if we, if all the, if people say, this is what always does, people say, UFC fighters just got to strike, right? Okay, so you're going to get 600, 700 fighters they have signed right now to strike. Okay, so they're going to strike. So you're going to get all they can 600. They get bums. They can get anybody. They can sign anybody to fight for yeah. free. All UFC needs is 20 people for that next event. And after they hold that event, they just need 20 for the next and 20 yep. for the next. And, and so you've got to get... Six to seven hundred people from all around the world, all with different beliefs about unions, to work together and hold out. And all these people too, a lot of them are dead broke, and they need that fighter paycheck coming in. And, and, it's and their a careers are they short. They just reach out and grab some tie fighters. Yeah, but and also pay them if you're, peanuts to, to to go fight in a cage. If you're a fighter that's at the peak of his career now, are you going to hold out for six months, miss your purses, and miss your chance yeah. to fight for a world title? I mean, if yeah. a teacher goes on strike. She's got 20 years to recoup those the holdout, the losses, to recoup yep. money. A fighter's got a year, two. Yeah, he loses a fights. year of his prime. Yeah, so you're, that, that's why <laughs> I personally don't think the union route, I just it's something that I don't think people really think about when they say that. 
the, the reason I support the Ali Act is is one is I think people exaggerate the dance, you know, like oh it fucked up boxing. No, all the stuff that you don't like about boxing, like all the multiple titles, existed before the Ali Act. The people that they, they'll complain the government doesn't enforce it. That's 100 percent true. But that's why I think the association routes. Did- They're not supposed to enforce it because then you'd have to have an agency that went around and enforced the ALIAC. The ALIAC is a law. You have a lawyer. Lawyers and the fighters are the ones you're supposed to. Enforce well, it. it's actually there are rules. The federal government that the, the uh, is supposed to enforce it in certain commissions and they ignore that. But there's a, a, a right of private action where fighters can use it. And and right now it's mostly limited to fighters with some sort of resources. But yeah, that's why I think associations important because when I was talking, then to the, the association is the one that can pay the lawyers to go do that. Yeah, when, when I was talking to guys like Lou DeBello and Pat English and all these guys involved in boxing, and I brought up the Ali Act, and they were saying, "What do we do to MMA?" But then I said, "Okay, what if you have an association?" They all said, "Okay, that's a game changer because an association has standing for the fighters, mm-hmm. and if they have standing, that means instead of the individual fighter having to bring the lawsuit." The association, anytime something happens that's a violation of the Ali Act, the association can step and go, that affects our members. We're going to sue you on behalf of them. And so now you, instead of depending on the government, depending on the state or something to do with the commissions, the fighters themselves, the association, can step forward and take care of it. So, yeah, this that's is the uh, way. This is the way. That's my, that's my pat on my, my, your back for what you got. That, that part, that's the I think you're on the right, that part's <laughs> the right track. There's other stuff I might disagree slightly, but... Uh, all right, John. Well, all right. we're over a little bit, a little over an hour. Yeah, <laughs> it's really great talking to you. I feel like it was, that was good. Yeah, we didn't even, you know, no political stuff. We have, we, we have so many, we have so many, so much more that we could cover. I feel like yeah, we could. I don't know. We, 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 we might not like, we might not enjoy this conversation. We started getting the other stuff. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if my opinions and beliefs are the same as everybody. That's, uh... I just, uh, just want to be left alone. <laughs> I want to be left alone. That's fair. Like, fair don't, enough. Don't 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 leave my money alone. I want to own my labor. I want to keep, I want to keep the fruits of my labor, and I want you to leave me alone. That's it. That's really where I'm at. That's oh, I, I kind of agree with that, but I also believe we live in a society, and that there's, and you know, we we built this. We people came across this country to to build something that was a communal effort, and so you can't, you know, it just doesn't work if everybody's on their own. You got to look out for your. You got to be kind and look out for your neighbor. No one wants to live in a neighborhood where your neighbor doesn't call people when people are breaking and burglaring the place or burning down. You want to look where you look yeah, out for. Your I mean, I think that, uh, like, the, I don't need a global community. Like, I need my local community. I think there's too I, much too much emphasis on global community. We, I, I, might agree I can live there. in a small community township, and we can take care of each other and have the I, same. I, I kind of agree with you there. I do think that there's too much uh, that we, because of our focus on globalization, and there's some positives of globalization because of our focus on that. It's like we, we, we're, it's like oh great, we as a country we make more money because we've opened up the world trade. That's great. Mm-hmm. But the communities that used to live on the the local trade, the building it, they're destroyed, yep. and no one went back mm-hmm. and helped them after doing it. So that's yes, yeah. I think there's some. All right, man. Well, All right. it was great That's, talking to you. We'll probably yeah. have to do this again sometime. Well, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Thanks for All coming. Right. Thanks for having me on. Thank out. you. You guys, hey, make sure uh, links to John's in the uh, in the description. Make sure you guys check him out. He's got some lots of smart stuff. If you guys want to read smart stuff instead of uh, red meat trash about you know winning jujitsu fights. Uh, 
Yeah, and read some real stuff from John. Yeah, yeah. Get, uh, my, my editor will be happy. Thank you, sir. Uh, thanks for coming, man. Okay, take care. All right, guys, that was lightning. I hope for you guys, you guys, you guys wanted some uh, some real talk on what's going on. We didn't get into hard numbers, but we got into a lot of ideas and um, stuff that's going on. Hopefully, that helped you guys out a little bit. Oh, man. <clears throat> that's good. I still need to get my audio stuff figured out. Let's see if I can play a song and I screwed up. <clears throat> Early one morning, making the rounds. Took a shot of cocaine and I shot my woman down. Went right home and I went to bed. Stuck that loving 44 beneath my head. Got up the next morning and I grabbed that gun. Got a shotgun, away I run. Run real good, better run too slow. They overtook me down there. Mexico. I didn't know how joints taking the pills. Walked a sheriff from Jericho Hill. Said Willie, your name is not Jack Brown. You're the dirty hack that shot that bad bitch down. Said yes, yes, my name is Willie Lee. Got a warrant just to read it to me. Shot her down cause she made me sore. Thought it was her daddy, but she had five more. Dressed uh, in black. Turned up in a semi-bag. Had no friends to forgo my bail. Slapped my dried-up caucus in the county jail. Early the next morning, about half past nine. Seen the sheriff walking down the line. Up it coughed as it cleared his throat. Come on, you dirty hack into that district court. My trial began. I was handled by 12 honest men. That's before I Almost good. Almost good. It was almost good. I need to practice more. I've been practicing. I need to practice more. I need to get on my stuff. Oh man. I don't know. Let's try this one. <coughs> I'll do better on this one. Here we go. When you were here before, couldn't look you in the eye. Just like an angel, your tits make me cry. You float like a feather in a beautiful world. You're so freaking special. I wish I was special, but I'm a creep. I'm a weirdo. The hell am I doing here? 
Thanks for tuning in. I'll check y'all later.